Listen, church, being a Christian is not bored, boredom. Being a Christian is not having, being able to laugh and have a good time and tell a good joke. Being, being a Christian doesn't mean that you, that you don't enjoy life. But it means that you model the life of Christ. Now, none of us do that perfectly. But it means that, the, that a dynamic church is filled with people that are in their hearts and in their desire surrender to the Lord and that the pursuit of their Christian life is to be like Christ. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Again, verse, I'm going to start at verse 11. The slides are going to start at verse 12, but I'm going to back up and head, it, head on. The Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now, Lord, that you would teach us your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. We want a dynamic church, don't we? We want an effective church. We want a model church. And the way that you have a model church is to follow the pattern of the church in the New Testament. And as I think about the model church in the New Testament, the, ones that, the one that comes to mind is the Thessalonian church. And there are several factors that I want to give you by way of introduction that made the Thessalonian church a model church. First of all, the Thessalonian church was a saved church. And this is something that believers, folks, do not need to take for granted. That just because a person is a member of a church does not mean that they are actually saved. The sad reality, folks, is that a lot of people in churches today and a lot of churches themselves do not know the meaning of salvation. One of my seminary professors that before he became a professor was a pastor for about 40 years. And he said in the 40 plus years of pastoring, he said that 19 out of 20 people that he baptized, that were saved and baptized in his ministry, were church members. 
people that had been involved in church for so long that they had, that they had never come to the point until then that they had never realized that they had never truly repented. But one of the marks that made the Thessalonian church an effective church, a dynamic church, was the fact that it was a saved church. Paul says in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Paul says, your life shows that you were chosen by God to be saved. And if you were chosen by God to be saved, you will come to faith. Paul says, this church gave evidence of personally knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And for, folks, listen, therein lies the beginning of a dynamic church. That a church that is filled with saved people. Now we all understand that there will be people in the church that are always a mix of wheat with tares. We understand that from the gospels, from the uh, parables that Jesus Christ taught. But listen, there's a, there's a fundamental problem. When, the, when you have a church and the majority of the people that make up that church are not a saved congregation. They are a religious congregation. They are a congregation that goes through the motions perhaps, but they are not a saved congregation. And sometimes that even goes as high as the leadership of the church. Years ago, my father preached a funeral down in Hopewell. And he was sitting on the platform and he was sharing the pulpit that day with another man who was a pastor of another church. And as they sat on the platform together ready for the services to get started, they had just small talked among each other. And my father told me after the service, he said, you know what that guy asked me when we were up on the platform? And this was a long time ago. My wife and I had just gotten married. That's how long ago it was. And so he said, Michael, you know what that guy asked me when we were on the platform together? I said, well, he looked at me, he says, do you think I'm a Christian? Now, I don't remember my father's response but I find it intriguing indeed that, a, that one pastor looks at another pastor and says, do you think that I'm a Christian? Because folks, listen, I'm not here to say any, make any judgment on his heart. But what I am here to say is this, is that sometimes it gets to the level in churches where even the leadership are not truly born again. And so a dynamic church, folks, is a saved church it is filled with people who have recognized their sinfulness before God. Matthew chapter 5, they've recognized their, they have recognized their spiritual bankruptcy before God and they have turned to Jesus Christ who alone is their only source of forgiveness, who alone is their only source of being made right with God, who alone is their only source of hope of heaven, who alone is their only source of hope in this life and in the life to come and that the majority of the people that make up that church are indeed saved because they had turned to Jesus Christ and repented of their sins. Have you? Have you? I didn't ask if you were a member of Emmanuel. I didn't ask you if you've been a member of churches in the previous time. I didn't ask you if you were baptized. I asked you, have you truly repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? So a dynamic church, one of the marks that made the church of Thessalonia a dynamic church was that it was a saved church. But the second dynamic part of a, of a good church is not only that it is a saved church, but that it is, and here's the key, it is a surrendered church. Not only saved, but it is surrendered. In verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says, And ye became followers of us and of who? The Lord. 
The word follower there is a Greek word, mimetes. It's where we get an English word to mimic. The church of the Thessalonians was not just talkers, church. They were imitators. They did not merely talk about their Christian experience, but they actually modeled their lives as they lived godly for the glory of God. Now, folks, I'm not talking about being a prude. I'm not talking about not having a good time. I'm not talking about laughing. Some people, I say that because some people have the impression that being a Christian is boring. Do you think being a Christian is boring? Let me tell you what. Since I've been a Christian, I've been, I've, I've not been, I've been everything but boring because I never know what God's going to do. Listen, church, being a Christian is not bored, boredom. Being a Christian is not having, being able to laugh and have a good time and tell a good joke. Being, being a Christian doesn't mean that you, that you don't enjoy life. But it means that you model the life of Christ. Now, none of us do that perfectly. But it means that, the, that a dynamic church is filled with people that are in their hearts and in their desire surrender to the Lord and that the pursuit of their Christian life is to be like Christ. Church, listen, that is the key to unity, isn't it? Because if we were all like Christ, there would be no problems with unity in the church. We have dysfunction and we have fractures in the church and in our relationship because we are not living a life that is, that is modeling Jesus Christ. You husbands and wives argue with each other at home because at least at that very moment, you are not modeling a life of Jesus Christ because if you were, your wife wouldn't give you such a hard time. Or if she was modeling Jesus Christ, right, Garrett? She wouldn't give you such a hard time. I just said that because I'm sure Bridget gave him an elbow in the ribs when I said that before. Don't look at me like that. I'm going to put you on the front row. Everybody look at Bridget. See all the shades of red on her face right now? The power of the pulpit. A.W. Tozer said this. If a hundred pianos were merely tuned to each other, their pitch would not be very accurate. But if they were all tuned to one tuning fork, they would automatically be tuned to each other. Similarly, unity in the church isn't the result of running around and adjusting to everyone else. Rather, it's becoming like Christ. That is the drive. That is the pursuit. That is the goal of a dynamic church. To be not only a saved church, but to be a surrendered church. Third, a dynamic church, and we don't like this one, but a dynamic church is a suffering church. It's a saved church, it is a surrendered church, and it is a suffering church. Look at verse 6 again. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in what? Much affliction. Any church that is saved and any church that is surrendered will find life to be difficult. Persecution for this church began immediately. We see that in Acts chapter 17 and verse 5. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of a baser sort. I like that phrase, lewd fellows. And gathered a company 
and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the synagogue, crying, what does it say? These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Why were the people of Thessalonians, why were they suffering? Because according to the Jews, they had turned the world upside down. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, For ye, brethren, became followers of the church, churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men." forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Church, church, listen, the church that is saved and the church that is surrendered is going to antagonize the world system. And Jesus Christ said in John chapter 15 and verse 18, if the world hate you, ye know that it what? Hated me before it hated you. But fourth, a dynamic church, folks, is not only a saved church and a surrendered church and a suffering church, but the dynamic church is a soul-winning church. Look at in verse 7 of 1 Thessalonians 1. So that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Listen, folks, it isn't the programs. It isn't the creativity that gets the church their credible testimony. But listen, it is you and I becoming Christ-like. And we want a dynamic church. We want an effective church, and that is what an effective church looks like. Save church, surrender church, suffering church, and a soul-winning church. And as we've been looking at this text, Paul tells us in this text why God has gifted the church with what he's gifted the church with, so that the church can be effective, so that the church can be dynamic. We saw last time the progression of God's pattern. And the progression of God's pattern, we saw there in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. It was first, it was the first progression was that we would be equipped. God gave to the church gifted leaders so that we could teach you the word of God so that you could then be equipped. But not only equipped, but also serving. Serving. He says in verse 12, for the work of the ministry, the job of every leader of every church is to train the people so that they can do the work of the ministry. Listen, it's not the leaders, it's not the elders' jobs to do everything, but it is the job of the elders to teach the people to do it. And I told you last week that, that an elder or a pastor does a great, great disservice to a congregation when they go around having their hands in everything. Not only does he do a great disservice to his people, but he does a great disservice to himself. Because listen, you are going to wear that, those elders out. And so an elder does, but he also does the people a great disservice because he doesn't teach them to do the work of the ministry. But not only that, we saw that, but we also saw for the edifying of the body of Christ in verse, the last part of verse 12. But number two, we want to not only know, so you see the progression, training, serving, building up. 
But number two, we want to see the purpose of God's pattern. That was the progression. This is Christ's pattern for the church. And the progression, God gave us spiritual leaders so that we can teach you to serve, so that we can teach you to uh, the work of the ministry, so that you ultimately you can build up the body of Christ. These are, there are not only purposes, church, but there are also results. Look at verse 13. Paul says this, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As every member church is built up, there's growing maturity. And here is, church, the first purpose of that progression that we saw in verse 12, and that is unity. Listen, you can try all you want to try and create unity. And you can struggle to create unity all you want, and as long as you try to create it, all you never will if you have immaturity. If you have immature people sitting in the pew then you will never have unity in the church. And that is part and parcel of why you have verse 12 is so that you can be taught to be unified, so that you can be a mature believer. Paul tells the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for you are what? You are yet carnal. You are of flesh. You are immature. He said in another verse, he says, I should fed me, he said, I should be able to feed you with strong meat, but I can only give you milk because you would choke on everything else because you are so immature. There will always be church division in the congregation if there, if there's spiritual infancy. There will always be division where there is not a maturing church. And a maturing, and a church that is not a maturing church, is a church, is a congregation that pays no attention to the Word of God. Listen, folks, everything in life comes back to what does God's Word say? Everything. Everything. And so when the saints are, but when the saints are immature through that equipping process, unity comes when there is maturity. Because, unif- because mature saints are unified saints. And that's what Paul says in verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. You need to be trained. You need to be serving, verse 12. You need to be building up each other. Until when? Until we all are unified in the faith. It is a truly, is truly a heartbreaking thing when there isn't that maturing process because when the church is fractured and disconnected, the testimony of that church to the world is fragmented and fractured and tragic as well. There needs to be unity, Paul says, and the only time that there is unity is when there is spiritual maturity. Let me ask you a question. How is your spiritual maturity? Listen, folks, I didn't ask you how many theological facts you know. I didn't ask you how many verses you can quote. You know how you can test your spiritual maturity? By two ways. What does it take to make you quit, and what does it take to make you offended? What does it take to make you quit, and what does it take to get get your feelings hurt? Well, the pastor didn't speak to me today. He's got to be the most stuck-up man. What does it take to make you quit? What does it take to make you offended? That is how you measure 
your spiritual maturity. Because listen, we can know facts about the Bible. You can learn verses in the Bible. But if you get offended easily, and you quit easily, then that's a sure sign of spiritual immaturity. If we want to be a dynamic church, if we want to continue this progression, it's going to come as God's people are mature. But there's a second purpose for the progression. Look at verse uh, 13 again. Till we all come in a unity of the faith and of what? The knowledge of the Son of God. Notice the word knowledge. This is not just basic knowledge. That would be the Greek word gnosko. That's just basic knowledge. This is what I know. This is the word epigonosko. And this is the word that speaks about deep personal knowledge. Listen, you just don't know facts about Christ. You have actually experienced the work of Christ in your life. This is another part or purpose of the progression that that we would plumb to the depths of who he is. And what does, what does a deep knowledge of Christ require of us, folks? Paul said it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him, same Greek word, epigonosis, that I may know him deep, that I may know him personally, that I may have an, an intimate knowledge of him. How? By the power of his resurrection and the what? Fellowship of his suffering. Listen, how do you be, how do you become a mature Christian? As you become not only understanding and living the power of his resurrection in your spiritual life, but you become a Christian, you become a mature Christian that is a unifying Christian that builds up the body of Christ as you suffer for him. Listen, we don't want to talk about that, though, do we? I don't want to think about that. That's, I would have loved the Holy Spirit to have left that part of the verse out because nobody here wants to talk about suffering, Right? I mean, if you want to talk about suffering, thank you for visiting from heaven. Nobody wants to talk about suffering. Nobody wants to talk about going through hard times. Nobody wants to talk about death. Nobody wants to talk about sickness. Nobody wants to talk about sorrow. But what does Paul say? The way that I'm going to know Christ in the depth that I need to know him is by suffering. Because what does suffering do? Suffering, according to James, which is why we should count it all joy, James says that it builds in you endurance. If you are truly saved, suffering will make you more determined to serve. And if you're not saved, suffering will make you hit the dusty trail. Right? Because John says in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have stayed with us. But they went out from us that it may, may, may be made manifest that they were not all of us. Suffering for the believer increases faith. Suffering for the believer increases the depth of our knowledge of Christ. Jesus said, happy are you if you suffer. Why? For righteousness sake. If you suffer because you are living holy, Jesus says, you are truly among all people blessed of God. Paul says, I want to know him. And Paul had the spiritual maturity enough to know that knowing him, that epigenosis, that intimate relationship, that intimate knowledge, he had the maturity enough to recognize that that intimate knowledge not only included knowing him in the power of his resurrection, but knowing him in the fellowship of his sufferings. But what is the end, of, what is the end result of that? Being made conformable unto his death. Oh, thanks, Paul. 
Really? Thanks a lot. But what does Jesus say? No man can come after me, Luke 9, right? Luke 9, 23. No man can come after me except to do three things. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, folks, listen. Your cross to bear is not your job. Your cross to bear is not your algebra or trig test you got to take tomorrow. Or for some of you, sorry people, your constitutional law test that you have to take tomorrow that you probably forgot to study for. (laughs) That's not your cross to bear. When Jesus Christ looked at the disciples and he used the word cross, they had one image in mind and one image only, and that was the image of what? Death. Jesus said, are you willing to come after me? If you, if you want to come after me, you need to be ready to die for me. That's the condition. You want to know me? You need to be ready to give your life for me as I gave my life for you. That's the condition. When the gifted men equip the saints and the saints do the work of the ministry, then the body is built up. There's there's a supernatural unity, and there will be a deep, personal, experiential, intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, dwell is a word katoikeo, and it means to be settled. You know, some Christians just need to calm down. Need to calm down. Now, men, you probably already know this, but don't ever look at your wife and say, baby, calm down. I made that mistake a few times. Baby, calm down. Now I say, cool your jets. Cool your jets. Or I say, I'm going upstairs to pray for you. (laughs) Or, here are the keys, you need to go get lunch. Listen, we don't need to calm down because that's just temporary. We need to settle down. And, having, and the only thing that's going to settle a Christian is that deep, intimate knowledge of Christ. Because then we know everything is okay. You know why we're so rambunctious? You know why we pace you know why we sweat? You know why we wring our hands? You know why we, our stomachs hurt? You know why we, all this stuff happens to us? Because we, we've never really experienced. Or we forget. God's got this. God's got this. Hey, and I'm right along with you. I told you last week, I'm just one of you. And I'm right along there with you. But as we come to the knowledge of Christ, and as Christ remains, the word dwell there is a Greek word meno, and it means to remain. It's another word for abide. As Christ abides in our hearts by faith. And what is faith? Believing, not yet seeing. 
Because if you see, you don't need to believe. That's not faith, church. Faith is believing that God will do just what he said that he would do, even if there's no evidence to the, to the fact that God will do it. Faith is saying, God, I know that you will because of one reason. You said that you would. And God, Titus 1-2, cannot what? Cannot lie. And God, I believe you will just because you said you would. And Paul says in Ephesians 3-17, that is what's going to settle you down. Is that type of knowledge a church learning, a church serving, a, a church maturing, and a church unified will, will be a church that is deeply involved with Christ. And when a church is deeply involved in Christ because they have a maturing congregation, they will be a settled church. We have one lady in this church. I'm not going to call her by name. For, for I don't want to embarrass her. But she's one of our oldest members. And her pastor is increasingly encouraged by her faith. I have watched this woman for 32 years. I've watched this woman go through one heartache after another, one trial after another. And I've seen her cry. She's cried on both of these two massive shoulders. I've seen her laugh. But I've never seen her quit. And church, listen, a serving church, a surrender church, a church that's deeply motivated and deeply involved with Jesus Christ will know so much joy and will, have, and will come to the conclusion in our life, listen, God's got this. Listen, that doesn't mean you don't shed tears. She shed tears with me this morning. It doesn't mean you don't shed tears. It doesn't mean that. Jesus did not say don't cry. He said don't let yourself be so overwhelmed that you become absolutely useless. Don't let yourself be carried away with it. It's not that you don't cry, but in your heart of hearts you know, because God gave us emotions, but in your heart of hearts you know, God's got this. See, she just gave herself away. I wasn't going to say who it was. God's got this. And Paul says, listen, when you know Christ deeply and intimately in your hearts, you know, and you're settled. How much more fulfilling it is in life to plumb to the depths of all that Jesus Christ means to you. And that is what Paul is saying is the purpose of the progression. Learning, working, unity, a deep knowledge of Christ. And then there's a third reason in verse 13. Unto, the, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is the end result of all of this? Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. When the church is equipped, when the church works, when the church is built up and unified, and when the church has a deep knowledge of Christ, then we find ourselves becoming like Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, but we all with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image 
from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The aim of every believer and the aim of the whole body of Christ is to be mature, to be fully grown, and therefore, church, to properly represent Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, God is not just satisfied with people that go to church. He is not satisfied that they are decent, respectable people. He demands that they be fully grown spiritual men and women. Robust, vibrant, strong. That they be the image of Christ and the church collectively will be the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we elevate Christ and the fullness of Christ, then we understand what Christ wants His church to be. Christ wants His church to be knowledgeable. Christ wants His church to be serving. Christ wants His church to be intimately involved with Him. Christ wants His church to be mature. And listen, Christ wants His church to be perfect. You say, Pastor, what does it say that? Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus said this, be ye therefore perfect. And that's not the word for mature. That's the word for perfect. Be ye therefore perfect. In which way? As your Father in heaven is perfect. Our Father in heaven isn't mature. He's perfect. Well, Pastor, we can't do that. That's why we need Jesus Christ. That's why we need that deep, intimate knowledge of Christ. Because our perfection flows through Him. Not because of us. That's God's desire. And that should be our goal. And then there's a fourth purpose. Look at verse 14. That we henceforth, and this is real key, and this is the key to the equipping, this is the key to the service, this is the key to the maturity, this is the key to the unity, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Folks, it is a sad state indeed when a person has been in church all of their life and they follow every theological fad and trend that comes down the road. That is a sad state indeed, that they can't be settled on truth. That when some lie comes down the road, well, let me take it for a test drive. Why do you want to take a lie? Why do you want to take false on a test drive? And it's a sad state indeed when a Christian gets in that state where they are carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. With everything else God wants to see in the life of his saints, he wants us to be sure about the knowledge of doctrine. Folks, listen, when I step in this pulpit, when Pastor James steps in this pulpit, we are not in this pulpit to give you our opinion. We are not in the pulpit to say, I think this is what it means. We are in the pulpit to tell you this is what the Word of God says. And if I'm in a, if I'm in a position where I, where I don't have a full knowledge of what's going on in the text, I better not preach it because I'm liable to preach my own opinion, and my own opinion is sus- suspect. When the, but when the church is mature, it will not be hassled by false doctrine because the mature Christian can notice it right away. Folks, let me ask you a question. Who gets tossed to and fro and carried about with all kinds of, children, with all kinds of beliefs? What's the text say? Children. Children. Why does Paul use the illustration of children? Because children are naive. Children are gullible. Children are undiscerning. Children do not make distinctions. Well, I watch. I watch. Um, I watch. 
the worst parts of my day in school. And probably the worst part of Autumn's day in school is 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock because we have to supervise break and lunch. But I watch my grandchildren crawl on the floor and they pick up and put in their mouths everything your children drop. That's what kids do. That's what kids do. And it's not necessarily food. I mean, I, you know, if they drop a cracker and put them out, oh well, but they drop erasers. They drop atomic bombs. And they put it in their mouth. Why? Because that's what children do. And what do immature Christians do? They just walk around and they just put in their mouth every theological nuance they come in contact with and just eat it up. Because I'm not saying they're not saved, but I'm saying they're, they're theologically immature because they're carried about with every wind of doctrine. Because they don't understand and they can't discern. And they will be like those children that pick up everything off the floor. They will just believe anything anybody tells them. Our Lord wants us to be nourished up in the words of sound doctrine. John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, I have written unto you fathers because ye have what? Known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong. And the, how are they strong? The, because the word of God remains in them. And then what happens? They overcome the wicked one. How do they overcome the wicked one? And it's the only way that they will overcome the wicked one. When the word of God remains in them. Many believers get pulled into false doctrine because they are, because they are babies, because they are infants. And Satan is clever. The phrase slight of men, kubaya, and it literally means dice playing. A lot of Christians are involved in shooting the dice. Well, I wonder what theological nuance I'm going to have today. And they just roll the dice, and then they go after wherever it lands. That's the literal meaning of that Greek word, folks. That's not my, me making it up in an illustration. That's the meaning of that Greek word. They just throw the dice, and whatever it lands, that's what I'm going after today. That's not God's goal for our life. That's not what God wants. God wants us to be mature, a mature church, therefore an effective church and a dynamic church. And he doesn't want us to get trapped by human trickery because they lie in wait to deceive us. This is a plotting deception. And that would be the definition of the cults. So when I was in seminary, I had to, I had to uh, Walter Martin wrote an apologetic book called The Kingdom of Cults. And he said this in that book, Isn't it amazing that a 90-day wonder out of the Jehovah's Witness can take apart an average Christian in 30 minutes? How is that? Because believers are tossed to and fro because they're immature spiritually. John MacArthur said, Believers must be strong to be safe from, from instability and gullibility. And the only way you're going to protect them from false doctrine is to give them true doctrine so they know where they are. Our Lord's purpose here is a, is a body is for a body of believers who know the word, who stand firm, who do not get blown around by false doctrine. And here's the final purpose, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 
You know, another, another mark of an immature believer is a, is a believer that can spout off facts, it can spout off truth without love. Without love. Because Paul says, here's the end result of the progression. Here's the end purpose of the progression, to speak the truth in love. Because listen, people that are equipped and they do the work of service and are built up and mature, they will be better able to communicate truth. Immature believers may know truth and may communicate truth, but if it's not done in love, then they are really immature believers, which is really hypocrisy. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation, which is the word hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. And then number three, the progression of God's pattern, the purpose of God's pattern. Number three, the power of God's pattern. Real quick, the latter part of verse 15, that we may speak the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And listen, church, all that basically means is that ultimately it is Christ who is the head from whom the whole body functions. That's the power. You're not the power. I'm not the power. And all those words that Paul uses in the latter part of verse 15 and verse 16 simply says that the power is not ours, but it is Christ. We don't have that ability. All the parts that come together all the parts that work together is because of the power of Christ. All the effectual working is because of Him. The increase of the body is due to His power. The body being built up is because of His power. If we, John MacArthur says, if we will build the church with Christ the way He's doing it, He will be honored. Scripture will be fulfilled. And believe me, people, we will, believe me, people, will be the fullness of Christ and will have the fruitfulness of God that Christ designed the church to have. So what's the, what's the, what's the purpose? The purpose is that we're built up and we're mature so that we're not carried around with every wind of doctrine. Where does it all start? It all starts with being trained and actually taking our training and doing the work. And then Paul says, but you need to understand and you need to realize that the power is of God, is of Christ, it is not of you. Where are you this morning, church? Do you recognize the fact today that whether you are a mature Christian or an immature Christian, like I said, what is, what is the test? What does it take to make you quit? What's it take, test, take to make you get offended? The Bible says, great peace have they that hope in you and nothing shall offend them. Do you realize today that the power of this church comes from Christ? It doesn't come from programs. It doesn't come from this pulpit. It doesn't come from the pew. It comes from Christ. We need to be mature believers in order for us to be a dynamic church. That is Christ's pattern. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. 
You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.